Hello, and welcome to the Numlock Podcast. I am Walt Hickey. I write Numlock. Uh, thanks for listening. This week, my guest is Philip Bump. He is a journalist at the Washington Post, and he's the brand new author of the new newsletter called How to Read This Chart from the Washington Post. Uh, I've really got a kick out of this newsletter. I've been enjoying it a lot. It comes out on Saturdays. It's a look basically at how graphics get through in news and what goes into making them and, and different ways that you can kind of start appreciating them in new and fun ways. So uh, you should definitely check that out. Philip can be found on Twitter at PBump. He is at the Washington Post, and he also writes the newsletter, again, How to Read This Chart. Go ahead and check it out. Uh, hope you enjoy our conversation. Hey, Philip, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I'm happy to be here, Walt. Thank you for having me. Amazing. So you uh, have just started this newsletter called How to Read This Chart. It's probably, what, two months old at this point, and, and it's it's already off to a really great start. I appreciate it. That was the goal. Yeah. <laughs> Try and have it, you know, be compelling and, and get people engaged. But yeah, I think that's, I think, about two months, which is sort of crazy how time flies. Nice. Uh, in one of the early issues, I liked you kind of mentioned that you were looking for a combination of breeziness and topicality. Do you want to talk a little bit about what kind of motivated you to both like start a newsletter in this space and also sure. kind of what your, what your, what your angle is, I guess. Yeah, no, I mean, I was, I do a lot of charts for my day job at the, at the Washington post. And one of the things that I have found is that often I will create a graph, which to me seems pretty intuitive, but requires a little more explanation than I would have expected. That is absolutely a failing on my part, right? You know, my, my job should be to make uh, presentations of data that are simply intuitive enough that I don't need to have a lot of explication. But, you know, I also think that complicated charts can be visually interesting, right? And provide a lot of information once you, once you dig into them a little bit. And so what I wanted to do was create something, create a tool in which I sort of encourage people to be more open to more complicated presentations of data. And so to offer up interesting, visually striking data visualizations that people could, that I could then walk through and say, here's how this works. Here's why this is actually a smart way to present this, even if at first it may be somewhat intimidating. And then over the long term, with the goal of having people just generally feel more comfortable with looking at a data visualization, understanding how to pick out their own stories from it, uh, and understanding how it can convey a lot of information in a way that words can't. Yeah, I really enjoy, like, I've enjoyed the approach and vibe of it a lot. I think that, you know, there's a couple, like, there's places on the internet that look at and evaluate and talk about charts a lot, right? And I think a lot of them will sometimes, like, over-engineer it. They'll be like, oh, look at this chart. And, like, in real life, there's a lot of colors, there's a lot of shapes, there's a lot of stuff going on. But I think that what I've really enjoyed about yours is that you, you very much look at this as, like, a process where there aren't really right answers, that there are choices that are made and things like that. Do you want to kind of expand on, on how you view like the process of creating a chart from that point of view? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I do too for my job is I do a lot of charts, right? And so that yeah. means that, you know, I'm not sitting down and, you know, workshopping, A-B testing different versions of charts. I'm like, okay, I'm doing a story on something that just broke. I need to, you know, make a chart. Like I did one that I included in the newsletter, which I thought was pretty good, which showed the evolution of votes for Supreme Court justices since the end of the Civil War, essentially. And so you start off and I had different representations. You know, I took all nine 
currently sitting seats and I sort of had little lines that wound their way through them uh, with little nodes for where a new justice was added. And so, you know, at the beginning, it's just they're all by voice vote. And so that's just, you know, a little black dot. And then eventually yeah. you start to see actual votes for it. And, you, you know, first all the votes are overwhelming, you know, like yeah. 90 to 10 or whatever. And then all of a sudden you start seeing them being pretty evenly divided. So that was something that I didn't have a chance to workshop. Um because I need to get it up because this is when Breyer announces retirement. Uh, and so I could then come back and I didn't actually do this with this. I just sort of dropped in the newsletter because I thought it was cool. <laughs> but, you know, that's that's a good example of where you can say, OK, so how might you have done this in a way uh, that provided more information? And I got feedback from readers. It was like, you know, this would be great. It's an interactive where you could mouse over it and, you know, see someone's name. And that's absolutely true. I couldn't do that in part because of the time crunch, but also in part because I couldn't then put it in the newsletter. So there, there are all these boundaries and constraints. And one of the things I'm trying to do is get the voices of people who read the newsletter injected into the newsletter. So when people have feedback and thoughts to, to include that as well, because part of the point is that I don't have all the answers. Yeah, no, I, I like that a lot. Because again, I think that, you know, it's always an idea of time versus, you know, you, I like it because you really do ground it in news. Again, your day-to-day -day mm. job is, yeah. is all about kind of covering the news. And that comes with a different constraints than doing, you know, just kind of long-term, like if you had spent a week making an interactive about that, it wouldn't have right. actually been as effective because, you know, sometimes just getting something out sooner is better. How would yeah, you say no, the news exactly. factors? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you're right. And I think too, that one of the lessons there is that, it doesn't have to be great, right? You know, I mean, like you, you and I have experience in writing for institutions that have editors and, you know, but it is not the case that we simply write things and then let the editors clean it up. We try and write well the first time, right? Yeah. And so this is a space where you don't have an editor. I don't have a graphics editor, right? Or when I do an interactive online, I don't have a data editor. Although, you know, I, I have sort of pitched that in the past as something that would be kind of cool and, you know, I mean, wouldn't it be cool if you had a lot of people who could do really basic code and then you could pass it over to a data editor to <laughs> clean it up and like make it, I mean, wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. Like you could really expand like the number of interactors you could. Anyway. Yeah, 538 was a shop like that. That was a really good time. <laughs> like, oh yeah, there you go. See, um, uh, but one of the things is trying to encourage people to just sort of jump into it, right? You, yeah. know, you don't have to worry about it being perfect in the same way that like I've been doing this long enough now that I can do something fairly quickly that is effective and, you know, isn't necessarily buggy, but the way you get there is by just sort of jumping into it and doing as much as you can and having fun with it and making it, you know, and here's the other thing that I'll say, I will put out graphics that I think are cool that I recognize are going to be complicating people. You know yeah. why? Because I do this all day and I've, sometimes I want to just have fun with it. And so, you know, um, and I think that's okay too in, in a lot of circumstances. Yeah. And like that reminds me like a few weeks ago you had, I pulled it up. It's, it's a keogram, right? Uh, yeah. th there was a guy who, put a camera on his roof. Do you want to talk about that one? Cause that one again, yeah. seemed complicated. And then as you kind of were talking me through it, I was like, this is so interesting. You can learn yeah. so much. Yeah. It was, it was really cool. Um, a guy I followed on Twitter retweeted. It's this astronomer who lives in the Netherlands and literally exactly what you said. He put a camera on the roof of an outbuilding in his house and it just pointed straight up with a fisheye lens and took a picture every 15 seconds for the entire length of 2021. And what results from that is you learn that you get this really cool pattern, this sort of hourglass pattern of when night falls, you know, obviously less night over the course of the summer, more night uh, uh, when it gets to be winter. You can see how the sky is different colored at different times of the day. So twilight and dawn are much more blue because the sun isn't reflecting off the clouds as much. You can see when the moon is moving through, the phases of the moon are depicted in it. There's all this information. It's, you know, it's just this little rectangle with this little black hourglass sitting on a blue field. But when you look at it, you can pick out so much stuff. 
And then he, of course, goes, you know, he's an astronomer, right? <laughs> so <laughs> he finds a lot of stuff that you don't necessarily see, but, you know, he goes through and he picks out, you know, the movement of the constellation through the skies. And he has this giant version of it you can get as well. And it's just, it's fascinating. It's just such a good use of visualizing data in a way that you wouldn't, you know, it's not visualizing data intuitively. It's just a picture of the sky. Yeah. But all you have to do is orient it, you know, by time of day and by time of year. And then all of a sudden you have an infographic that really tells you a lot about literally how the world works. I really loved it. Again, just like even as like an art piece, it's really cool. But then when you go through, you can see just such really interesting visualization going on. Yeah. I guess I, I want to talk about a kind of a second thing. This is also not strictly about your newsletter. It's about like how we kind of talk about charts. But I feel like. Sure there's been more conversation about chart crimes than there has in the past. And I think that like, it's, it's been interesting to kind of watch the, the conversation around it evolve. And, and I would just kind of love your thoughts on it. Cause again, you've been in the game uh, a while now and you've definitely kind of seen good visualization, bad visualization, uh, you know, malicious visualization at times sure. from, from folks who want to delude. Um, and that kind of seems to be a, a theme at some points in your newsletter. What, what, where do you kind of see the state of the art and how has the Internet's interactions with charts kind of evolved over the past couple of years? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I mean, obviously, it is something that's been powered by the connective capabilities of social media to a large extent. Um, I think also there is a, a sort of nerdiness that emerges on social media um, more than in my other places, just by virtue of the fact that it's grounded in technology and, you know, age groupings and so on and so forth. And of course, you and I probably operate in nerdier circles than do most people. Like, you know, my sister who spends a lot of time on Instagram, I'm not sure she sees a lot of chirp crime tweets, right? <laughs> like, you know, which isn't meant as a disparagement or she's just got different, you know, more normal interests than, than do I. I was going to say you or I, but I don't, I don't want to judge. Then do I. Um, uh, so, but no, I mean, I think part of it is, is not only the fact that you have that connectivity, which obviously we're all familiar with by now with the internet, but you also have a lot more people who are trying to present information. Uh, you know, one of the things that's sort of been fascinating uh, over the course of the past decade or so is the ways in which corporations have really latched onto the idea of using data presentations to sell stuff. And so they'll do like, you know, these, am I allowed to swear on your podcast, Walt? Yeah, go for it, mate. They'll, the do these, they'll, they'll do these <laughs> shitty polls, you know, of like, you know, like we polled, you know, 14 Airbnb members and seven of them found that Airbnb is awesome. You know, and they'll like, yeah. you know, pitch those to like, you know, Forbes contributors who go on the money laundering crimes. And so, you know, I mean, like there's there's this pattern whereby corporations. Alleged found, money lending. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't name names. I didn't name names. Um, you know, but there's this pattern wherein uh, corporations have figured out that people are compelled by data visualizations. And so and by, you know, the, by, by sort of weird esoteric data points. And so they gin these up. Uh, but what that also means is that there's this big influx of uh uh, visualizations and attention being paid to these things in a lot of media outlets who are trying to, you know, move from, you know, being crusty old newspapers to doing, you know, more interesting things online, although that was, you know, that's five, 10 years old by yeah. now by itself. Uh, but, you know, there, there is this new attention being paid to how you present data uh, for a lot of different reasons. And so I think that provides also a lot of more people who are skilled in this to some extent and a lot more people who are paying attention to it, which I think I, is part of it. I love this point. And I actually want to spend more time here just because it's rare that like, I get to be like, hey, you also see this, right? But like, yeah. it is wild just at how like regularly I will see press releases, I will see corporate right. blogs, I will see all this kind of stuff that will either be hinged on like a poll that they ran because they mm -hmm. would like to get into the press and they realize that that's a decent way to launder in a talking point or, or, or that right. like it's, it, it's almost interesting kind of watching some of the techniques of data journalism kind of get co-opted a little bit by some of these 
corporate actors and again you cover politics and i'm sure that you see this time and time again in that space in particular too but just like the corporate side of it like you had a linkedin poll a few weeks ago that was just like yeah wait why are we talking about this and this made it into what the new york times for god's sake right yeah i mean like you know is that a a local newspaper where where is that yeah no i live i live outside of new york city and yeah it's uh a lot of my neighbors get it no i mean the uh um, yeah, I, I, I hope you've noticed that I go out of my way to insult the New York Times whenever I can the newsletter, not out of any ill will, but just because it's course. funny. There's one coming up in, in uh, <laughs> uh, the one that's dropping uh, uh, this Saturday. Anyway, um, <laughs> no, no, you're right. And part of that, I mean, bear in mind, I mean, you you are familiar with political polls as well, but for years it's been a problem that you'll have political journalists who pick up like internal campaign polls and treat them as serious, right? When yeah. those are the same thing, they're just marketing pitches yeah. using this front of data, right? So you have that exact same factor which comes into play in doing politics reporting. And you have a lot of journalists who simply don't know how to spot bullshit, right? Yeah. They just don't know how to like be like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to treat this with some caution. Instead, they're getting pitched on, hey, man, we have this new insight into what's going on. It's the exact same thing. It's just corporations have figured out how to do this. And it costs very, very little money for them to do it. And if they find a reporter who isn't particularly savvy in assessing the validity of data collection mechanisms, then they have, you know, they got a bite pretty easily. You know, hey, I'm going to give you the exclusive. LinkedIn did this poll and we found that X. And someone's like, well, that's cool. Thanks for the exclusive. You know, send me the data. You know, and then you and I get it. And we're like, you know, LOL, what the hell is yeah. this? <laughs> you know, um, and again, I'm not trying to, ju- you know, in the same way that, you know, if, if someone asked me to be an opera critic for a day, I would totally embarrass myself. I, I just don't know it. I don't know that world. But, you know, there's a reason why if someone is putting on a crappy opera might want to have me come and do the review, right? Because they know <laughs> yeah. that I'm not going to understand what's going on. And so I think we see a lot of that with corporate pitching in particular. It's great that you point out, again, like, and this isn't to knock the folks who do it necessarily because you point out like, oh, well, maybe they're credulous of a poll, but they're also like they take no bullshit elsewhere. And it's just kind of a right. almost an expertise thing where like knowing what's a rough poll, knowing what is a specious uh, source of, of collecting responses, knowing what is, oh, the sponsor of this is is perhaps a little sus. Um, right, right. That's like, you know, that is a skill. And again, it's, it's a really I always love when you kind of point that out and go in on that because I think that your beat at the post has been really good at kind of calling some of that out in the past. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think it's fun, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's fun to have, you know, to, to catch Tucker Carlson, who I do not assign any good faith effort on his part to, Reasonable. you know, I, I, you know, it's fun to say, hey, actually, this graph that you used is nonsense. And to call that out. I mean, obviously, his nightly uh, audience is slightly larger than my newsletter audience. Oh, but. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know, you don't know my newsletter, my newsletter audience could be 2 million. It's not absolutely. You know, <laughs> Uh, you know, it's, it is. It, I will say this: it's definitely a percentage of two million. Round to the nearest um, two million, I think. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We're even. Uh, anyway, uh, but you know, I mean, it's. I, I think there's value in it, uh, but also in recognizing how, through intentionality or accidentally, that people can offer you information that you should be skeptical. Yeah, it, it feels like we're kind of in a new phase where I felt like at the beginning of my career, like maybe mm-hmm. like 10 years ago or so, it was like the challenge was convincing people that there was value in writing about polls, that there was value in writing about this kind of data, that there was value in, in making all these kind of vids and putting this investment into it. And now I feel like battles won. Congratulations, high five, mm-hmm. victory, all that kind of stuff, champagne. But now the step is like, oh, now we got to be smart about how we actually end up using it because those tools have also been acknowledged by, again, that whether it's through a profit pursuit or whether it's through a political mm-hmm. pursuit or whether it's that kind of stuff like, you know, we won one battle and now like, Oh wait, there's actually a whole lot of cleanup that we got to keep doing. No, you're right. I mean, I think that there are a lot of ways in which data presentation right now is 
sort of a, a risky endeavor. I mean, from the visualization, from the visualization standpoint, uh, it is obviously the case that we get a lot of you know, dubious, questionable uh, presentations that, that make our ways in front of us, um, and I think we're calling it out. But there's also this. Uh, I think polling itself is something that you know and I, we could spend a whole you know half hour talking about this separately. But I think polling itself is something that the skepticism of polling has been weaponized in the same way that say skepticism of a coronavirus vaccine has been weaponized right that's interesting that, that, that you can pick out particular ways in which you can cast doubt in order to try and undercut the whole thing it is much more common that we see that with polling in part because you're always going to find a poll that gives you information you don't want so one of the things i thought has been fascinating over the course of the past several months has been uh, this spate of new polls showing that President Biden's approval is 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 quite low, and just the number of people, including the president, who are saying, "Oh, you can't put any stock in that." And it's just like, "Come on, man! <laughs> like, <laughs> like, how are you?" And I made this point in the newsletter. Like, you are asking us to say, "Here is the best information we have on the vaccine. It's imperfect. There have been mistakes that have been made, but we understand generally what things look like, and we need to have confidence in that." And then on the same side, you're saying, I ignore these polls because they're bad for me. It's bullshit. You can't do that. That's not how it works. And so I think that we're seeing, we saw Trump obviously spend a lot of time trying to downplay and denigrate polls, which showed him doing poorly. And I think that's damaging. I, I do, because polls are, you know, for all the complaints about going to a diner and talking to voters and yada, 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 polls are talking to a thousand people at one time, asking them more narrowly tailored questions and not having a lot of space or follow up, obviously. But that's what polls do. And I think for people to reject them out of hand, I think just moves us more into this space of uncertainty where all sorts of bad things can happen. Yeah, I like because also there are a few people in this world who have critiqued polls more than you and me at times. Like, sure, like, yeah, the, yeah. like because there are always good polls, there's always bad polls, there's always things you got to know about it. But I will yeah. just say, like, in your newsletter, how to read this chart. One per, one okay. pervasive idea that I like is that. You know, it almost comes off similar to like wire cutter, where it's like you're evaluating the different tools and trying to figure out what the best way to talk about it is and how to use it and all that kind of stuff. It's not like saying that the tools are invalid or the tools don't work or the tools always work or this is a bad tool. Or it's it's again acknowledging for, we're all coming from the position that like this is a cool tool to have and a cool tool to use. Here are the best ways to use it, and I always appreciate that kind of perspective on it. Yeah, and also every time you make a bar chart, I get a commission, so that's nice. That's, <laughs> again, echoing the wire cutter model. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the the goal is to some extent, and you know, part of this is informed by Edward Tuft, who we were inv invariably going to get to as part of this conversation, does these data visualization <laughs> things, and is sort of like the godfather of all this stuff. So when I worked at Adobe as a designer back twenty years ago, I went to one of his seminars, and the thing that always struck me about that is that you're sitting through the seminar, and it's like the morning. Have you been to one of your seminars? I've not. No. Okay. So the morning you go through it, and the, you know, at least it's sort of like in Silicon Valley twenty years ago, but um, you sit through like this really interesting assessment of like how data visualization works, and you know the O-ring story from the Spatial Challenger, and all these various ways in which you know presenting data is important. And then you have a break, and then you come back for the afternoon, and it's all about how to make cool charts for PowerPoint. Yeah. And at the time, I, was, I skipped it. I was like, I don't give a shit about making Google charts for PowerPoint. But I realized, like, it's brilliant from a business model because that's how he gets all these companies to pay to send people to a seminar, right? Like, yeah. they go to the seminar and they say, hey, I need this is going to help me make better PowerPoint charts. And they're like, okay, fine, we'll pay the $1,500 or whatever. It's genius. But but it's also value, right? That's yeah. the value is added to people. And so one of the things I want to do with the newsletter as well is give people to some extent 
some familiarity with the tool sets that are out there so they can sort of broaden their approach a little bit. I will also at times slide in uh, little, you know, recommendations for like, you know, there was a spiral chart that was in the times that got a bad rap. And I, you know, I found a link to how to recreate that thing using R, which no one that reads newsletter is using R to make data visualizations. But A, it's there in case they do and want to, but B, it also makes them feel like, okay, I'm part of this like kind of cool insider club that like knows how to make visualizations at a pretty advanced way now, which then it gives people the confidence to do so, to sort of explore it, you know, ideally, hopefully. I, I don't know yeah. I don't know how many more charts I've brought into the world through my newsletter, hopefully one or two, uh, but, but that's, like, that's good. But that's so smart because again, like you never want to be in a course where you know everything. You never want to be in a course where it's completely out of your bound. You want to be in a right. course where... You get a little bit of you know exposure to things that are a little bit beyond your grasp at the point, and things that you have well in hand. And like you say, like listen, you don't know if anybody's making charts from R in your newsletter, but like you don't know if they're making it yet. And I really like yeah, that sure. vibe about it, you know. Yeah. And uh, I like the confidence that you put in your audience. But uh, it's just really good stuff, man. Is there any particular thing that you've had a chance to write about that you feel proudest of in the in the past couple of weeks? <sighs> <laughs> uh, this is one of those uh, questions where all of a sudden you have to think about what you, you got to think about everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, the, the Keyogram one was good just because it was not specifically news centered. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I just, one of the things I try to do with the newsletter, which hopefully I succeed at to some extent is to make it actually like fun to read, yeah. right? Like it's super easy to write about a chart in a way that no one is interested in it. Um, you know, I'm not going to say it's hard to do it in a way, in a way that's a little more compelling, but, you know, I try and make it like, I want it to be something where someone who is not really familiar with charts picks it up and at least finds it funny, even if they don't really care the charts or even if they don't really necessarily get the charts at the end of the day. Um, and I feel like I've done a pretty decent job with that. My dog, uh, who hurt his neck, just scratched himself oh, no. and that was his yelp in the back and he's fine. He's just an idiot. Um, um, you're welcome to keep this in if you want to. Of course, uh, no. But, <laughs> material. I, I will graph how many times my dog hurts himself a day, which is a lot. Anyway, the uh, uh, you know, I think that that's the thing which I am probably happiest about is that people who I know aren't nerds on charts will come back and be like, "Hey, at least it's fun to read," which I think is a step in the right direction. Anyway, hundred percent. I mean, it's like it's like. You know, it's the Ratatouille thing, man. It's like, you know, anybody can be a cut. Like, you just got to put the effort into it and you got to like it. And you got to like, it's not for everybody, but like, absolutely. Like, it's it's a great opportunity to kind of get exposed to new stuff. And I've, I've again, I have personally been enjoying it. Uh, so I thank you and, and commend you for doing it. And I guess where can folks find it? Where can folks get a chance to subscribe? Any of that kind of stuff? Where can folks find you? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at PBump. Uh, the chart, I mean, I think if you search how to read this chart, I would hope it comes up pretty high in the results <laughs> by now. Boys and uh, SEO are working hard on that. <laughs> so you want to assume. Uh, if you go to uh, wapo.st slash read this chart, that'll actually take you directly there and you can sign up. Uh, you know, obviously it's free. Um, I, you'd be very happy if you subscribe to the Washington Post, of course. Uh, but, you know, it's a free newsletter. It teaches a little bit about charts. And if you stick around after the break, we'll teach you how to make excellent PowerPoint presentations. Oh, all right. Well, thank you. For <laughs> <laughs> so you can send me $1,500 for the seminar, too. It would be great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll just send that to Amazon. Anyway, <laughs> um, so, Philip, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Again, it's been a really great newsletter. Uh, thank you so much. Of course. Thanks, Philip. 
Thanks so much to Philip for coming on. Again, he can be found at How to Read This Chart. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, if you enjoy this, you should throw us a review. And thanks to JT Fails for the use of our theme song.